0: I'm Jill Shaw and I'm here with Ross Wilson to bring you an update on what happened last night during Boston Public Schools' school committee meeting. It sounds like it's time to go back to school in person and that BPS is continuing to work on making sure that all of its buildings are safe and ready to receive its students. Ross, good morning. What did you think?
1: Uh, good morning, Jill. Yeah, Last night's meeting covered the reopening of our schools to in-person learning with scheduled to have about 7,000 more students back to school this coming Monday. Um, currently, as you recall, Jill, there's only about a few hundred students uh, with in person learning in our schools right now. Um, right. Also, last night we heard from the, uh, the, the committee approved the exam school task force, both its charge and the composition of the committee were approved. And um, the superintendent requested a number of waivers uh, re- related to grade promotion, testing, and graduation. For this year, citing the pandemic as a barrier to maintaining the current policies. Mm -hmm. Um, Jill, the meeting began with Chair Oliver Davila providing an overview of new district goals that came out of the latest two-day retreat last week. Before we move on to
2: our agenda, I would like to say a few words about the important work the committee is doing to shape the focus of our work for the next five years. On January 20th, And on January 21st, the committee held a two-day public retreat on priority setting and effective governance practices. To strengthen the committee's focus on student outcomes, we drafted a set of goals and guardrails to guide our work. I'm going to read our goals uh, and our guardrails. Our first goal is that BPS will create the conditions for students to arrive in grade three ready to thrive in school by ensuring that the percentage of K-2 students who meet or exceed grade level expectations on the reading comprehension and writing assessment at the end of the year will increase from X in June 2020 to X in June 2026. Our second goal, BPS will cultivate the linguistic and learning assets of students by ensuring that the percentage of students who are English learners who demonstrate at least X percent of growth on the ELL access test will increase from X percent in June of 2020 to X percent by June of 2026.
1: This led to questions um, voiced articulately in public comment by John Mudd.
3: I want to understand, and I think the community needs to understand, what does this mean? Are the listed goals actually intended to supersede the 2025 strategic plan or the approved approved opportunity and achievement gap policy? Uh, Do these goals replace the goals, commitments, and measures in the 2025 policy?
1: Quite honestly, Jill, I kind of have the same question. we can speculate on the intent of the goals and the guardrails presented by the chair at the top of the meeting, but she did not explain the purpose of these new of these new goals and, and sort of how they're aligned to the current district goals, um, the superintendent's strategic plan, the superintendent's goals. It's kind of getting a little confusing about the moving of goals here.
0: Yeah, the other issue is that they, they weren't actually defined. There, there are a bunch of sentences with the meat left out of them. She kept saying that we're going to move from X to X, literally stating the goals and objectives with an X as well as the current conditions as an X. A- and so, you know, these really have no weight until they, you know, we fill in those X's. Contextually though, it, they're the right areas of focus,
1: wouldn't you say? They're good areas of focus. They're not much different um, than areas of focus that have been uh, set forth by the, by the um, school committee in the past. It's just, I, it's just not clear to me why there's a need for, for new goals. But um, we, the superintendent did say, uh, um, I'm sorry, the school committee chair did say that they will hold seven public community listening sessions, including one with students, to understand mm-hmm. the community's perspective on these goals and perhaps, perhaps fill in the X's.
0: Right. so I guess it, it's just a question of you know what 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 does school committee want to put in place in terms of um, expectations for for the district and then what is leadership the superintendent and her team um, how do they respond by saying here's what's possible in a year you know here's what here's what here's where we are today and here's where we think we can get to in a year or three years or five years but it it seems like there's more sorting of this out to be done. And I think in the meantime, I guess we're waiting for X.
1: Right, Jill. And I and, and I I just want to say one more thing about this, which which is essentially if the school committee sets new goals and a new strategic plan, you would expect that the superintendent would then set a new goals for herself and her team and a new strategic plan for the superintendent in order to achieve the goals set forth by the committee. So it's which, just, yeah. you know, the the sort of The order of operations here would be that if the committee sets new goals, the superintendent should then reflect her work on how to achieve those goals. We should have clear um, guidelines around when are we reporting on those goals, what does the annual goal look like for each of the five years, how is the committee keeping track of those annual goals, and how ultimately is the superintendent being held accountable. To achieving those goals set forth by the committee so well and
0: and ross by the way it's january i mean it's almost it's almost february and by the time we get through seven public meetings it's we're into march then it's the end of the school year so i'm not sure who's being held accountable for this year or for what anyone is being held accountable this is kind of a dramatic loss for students you know the past you know the past school year Um, with no expectations, it seems, and this churn of setting expectations and talking about expectations, and, and maybe they'll have that teed up for next school year.
1: Right. So, so, we also, you, this brings back a memory, Jill, from last meeting where we, we had very clear goals set forth by the superintendent for her evaluation, and then the committee kind of said, well, nobody can ever expect her to achieve these goals this year, so let's not really hold her accountable. So it's not clear at all what right. our goals are for our district, what we're expecting our students to achieve, our staff to achieve, and what we're holding anybody accountable for at this point. Jill, moving on. But we are going back to school, so yes, uh, in so person. Monday, over 7,000 <laughs> kids Monday, Jill, over 7,000 right. kids. Um, okay, so moving on. The superintendent also spoke briefly about the reopening of school buildings this coming Monday, and our team provided an overview of the safety measures and operations for the return of to in-person learning. Yes, we heard about windows. First thing we heard about were less than 800 windows, uh, or sorry, less than 1,000 windows, more, more around 850 or so windows to be repaired. So we are getting there with the windows. Um, In the first round, That like, we're done with phase one, I think yeah this is good yeah yeah no it's fantastic yeah we can like open windows up in classrooms it's it's awesome um there's there was a lot of discussion about hepa and merv3 filters indoor air quality testing going above and beyond the standard um food services seems to be back in back in uh moving forward with cooking in kitchens um so we we heard a lot about the intent to uh to reactivate kitchens and my way cafe Um, And BPS touched upon an application it's submitted to the state to leverage the new state's uh, COVID-19 surveillance testing program. Um, And there's also a new publicly available dashboard, Jill, which aggregates data on attendance and technology. And we'll post that in our blog this week.
0: So, Ross, you know, we we know quite a bit about the new testing program. that the state is supporting. And there are a few things that I was waiting to hear but I didn't hear last night. I I don't know about you, but I really wanted to hear that all students and staff are gonna be tested at least once a week. I wanted to hear that the testing was going to happen in every building and that no one needed to travel anywhere to be tested. Um, And that BPS is committed to supporting the program for as long as is necessary, even after the state funding ends.
1: Yes. So, Jill, tip. So, there's about 350 or so districts across the state, and um, right now at school committee meetings across the state, this is the topic they're talking about. They're talking about mm-hmm. uh, the measures to return schools to his kids to in-person learning, and one of those key measures that everybody's talking about at school committee is surveillance testing. How will we make sure we're testing all of our students and all of our staff once a week? What do we do with positive pools, right? And so. There's a whole lot of nuance to this, Jill, and we don't need to get into it here, but I would encourage listeners to check out the state's pooled testing website, and we'll post it on our blog. Um, and basically what we're doing here, you know, the state is testing groups of 10 at a time um, in pooled methodology, and this, this investing costs to come way down to like $3 to $5 a test. It Now it could be done weekly, and we could really keep track of what's happening in our school and if spread is happening out of positive cases.
0: Well, and I think I think the other thing, right, is that this is just this is managing. This is about managing perceived risk, right? And it's about making everyone feel more comfortable about being back in school. And it's additive to all of the other structure that needs to be in place, right? So all the infrastructure work that BPS is doing, in addition to strong, encouraging strong adherence to mask wearing and hand washing and um, physical distancing, like. This, but it's a big deal. It's why, you know, superintendents and uh, school committees across the state are talking about the right way to implement testing is they really see it as key. And they're hearing families and teachers say this is key to us feeling safe about going back to school.
1: Completely. We, we've we've heard, um, if only we heard a, a more about um Surveillance testing and maybe less about Windows. You know, we could be in a better position here, right? But this is this is a, a critical point here, and that you would expect school committee members to be more knowledgeable and ask more questions about this surveillance testing that's gonna be happening uh, imminently, um, hopefully yeah. in the city of Boston, but certainly around around the state. Um, and, and Jill, it's important to note here, this is a six week pilot program that's provided by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education in the state. Um, and then after that, it would be expected that BPS would continue or all districts would continue this program using federal dollars, relief dollars that are coming to districts. And I think we should hear more about these federal relief dollars um, that are coming uh, to districts, in particular in Boston, at, this, at the budget hearing, hopefully, in, um, coming up. And, um, and, you know, this is in the tens of millions of dollars that BPS is receiving from the federal government to open schools up safely. Right. Um, so, so, Jill, also, you know, we heard last night from um, Boston's Health and Human Services Chief Marty Martinez um, providing an update around the state of COVID-19 in our city.
4: You know, briefly, I think from Health and Human Services perspective, obviously, um, we've been working closely with BPS um, and, and monitoring uh, our COVID activity in the community. Um, and what we have seen is over the past uh, couple weeks now, we've started to see a decrease in COVID activity in the community. We are monitoring six metrics, as a reminder, three metrics that are tied to COVID activity, um, and then three metrics rela- uh, related to hospitalizations and hospital activity, um, and we've seen a decrease in our overall cases um, that we've been seeing um, in the city of Boston. We're down to three hundred and seventy-six point nine cases on average a day um, as of January twenty-first. That's down uh, from a high in early January um, and above where we had uh, where we had been there coming out of the holidays. We are down to 6.9% positivity um, in the city right now.
1: So Jill, it sounds like all systems are go. You know, many people doubted that we would you know, start seeing more in-person learning happening. Um, but I think we're going to start seeing more in-person learning happening on Monday. And then come right. around March 1st, you know, we're going to welcome back um, families who have chosen in-person learning or hybrid learning from for kindergartners to grade three as soon as March 1st, one month away.
0: So, in, and all kids will be back in school physically in some form by when, by end of March?
1: End of March for those, yeah. right. And, and for those students who have chosen in-person learning uh, by the end of March, and actually this is on the dashboard for the number of families that chose to stay full remote versus the number of families who chose to go back in hybrid just about half and half across mm. the district. And, um, and yes, yeah, so half of our students may be in school two days a week by the end of March. There you go. So so next, Jill, um, moving along in the, in the meeting, there was a unanimous vote to approve the exam school task force in charge and composition. Um, and this group will be subject to open meeting law, so all of their meetings will be public and anybody can attend. Um, we're going to post their meeting dates when they become available. Uh, just a reminder from school committee um, vice chair Michael O'Neill, it, it's important for the committee leadership and the public to understand the results Um, from this year's policy change in the admissions process?
3: I do hope this committee really works hard at looking at this year's admission and what the impact has been, even as they think through, you know, a potential long-term solution to the admissions. Would love to really get an analysis. And I believe, you know, it is in the charge, but I just want to make sure to call it out that um, they spent just as much time looking at what they had recommended to us and what we approved and what the impact has been as they do in thinking through uh, a permanent um, change a- along the lines of the charge.
1: And then, Jill, we got to the last part of our meeting where the superintendent recommended about five changes for next year to the current policy, including to current policy, including waiving retention policy amending graduation requirements, waiving assessment practices, waiving uh, attendance policy, and waiving the advanced work class admissions policy for the coming year.
0: Right. So the superintendent provided data to support her request for flexibility in the pro- protocols for admissions into advanced working class, um, and which r- involves a test. Called the terra nova and she suggested the test which is traditionally given in the fall you had mentioned to me um ross is typically given in october be waived this year it seems like we're past that date anyway the data that she showed uh involved five schools that have advanced working classes um and in in the slides that she showed she showed the, the percentage of students who are in these classes um, are majority white and asian disproportionate to the total number of students who are majority students of color. Um, It does seem though, and there's some nuance here, which we'll get into, that the advanced working class program is largely being replaced by excellence for all. And so what we were talking about involved about 116 students in this 54,000 student district. Um, Nevertheless, school committee member Lorna Rivera expressed dismay at the data that she saw.
2: Um, because that's where, where I'm really disturbed is, um, and it didn't come up even in this discussion about, um, you know, the fact that 90% of the students um, are coming from three schools, 71% are white and Asian, um, 60% of fourth graders at the Orenberger are white students. I mean, this is just not acceptable I never heard these statistics before and I'm very, very disturbed by them.
1: Right, Jill, so, so um, it, clearly Ms. Rivera is disturbed by, by the data that was presented by the superintendent. And this kind of points to a problem you know, that the committee members should not be surprised by numbers that are presented. Um, in, in fact, you know, it, it points to the fact that probably committee members, um, the superintendent should be presenting more numbers to committee members. So everyone has an understanding of what's happening in our district. Um, particularly as it relates to um, uh, you know assignment policy the the yeah. makeup of, of students across uh, schools across neighborhoods um, uh, across grade levels uh, you know and in different programs and these are really critical data for members to understand uh, in order to make appropriate policy um, mr. O'Neill then reminds the committee that the majority of the system has moved to a program called excellent excellence for all to try to combat issues um, that have been sustained by advanced work class.
3: Um, I just wanna peel the onion back a little bit on this because Excellence for All was designed to basically move us away from AWC and a number of school leaders stepped up and said, we're gonna offer rigor to all of our students, not just have separate tracking and, um so it'll be interesting, superintendent as part of the working group, if they also analyze not just what to do with AWC, but potentially how excellence is all for how excellence for all is going, what's working about it, what needs more support, and and how we can prove that. Because obviously that's the goal, right? That all of our students have exposure to rigor across the entire district.
1: And then Ms. Robinson emphasizes that she, we should have what we need to serve all students well in the school system.
2: I guess one of the questions I've had for a long time around this whole, the whole fourth grade, the AWC and the um, excellence for all is at what point will we just sort of stop and take a look overall at what are the best practices
4: for fourth grade education?
1: So, so Jill, what Mr. O'Neill and Ms. Robinson are talking about is, is really the key here. Um, This is not about just about advanced work class or about the Terra Nova. This is about trying to figure out how we give all kids in every BPS classroom access to appropriate education. Right. Let me just read a, a quick definition, Jill, of Excellence for All. Excellence for All is an initiative designed to ensure that all learners in grades four to six have access to high quality, authentic learning experiences that prepare them for high school, college and careers. Excellence for All schools focus on pushing students' critical thinking, writing skills, and their ability to solve real-world challenges. Students participate in robotics, coding, and world language classes, and they also complete a capstone project um, that they present to their parents, peers, and teachers. So Jill, that is our definition of excellence for all.
0: Okay, but th- that sounds to me like it's a definition of school. H- how is that not just school? Why, why is that a specifically named program?
1: Right. Or is it is it called excellence for some or excellence for all? Like there's no reason that we shouldn't, you know, a number of years ago, there was there was a desire, everyone recognized, or the school system recognized, and the school committee recognized that advanced work class um, should should we should figure out how to dismantle it. Right. We shouldn't be Mm -hmm. telling and sorting students at grade three and telling some students at grade three you're capable and other students you're not capable based on a Terra Nova assessment. Um, that is only given for the purpose of sorting kids at grade three, right? Mm-hmm. The system should not do that, right? That, that does not create a system for, all, for high expectations for all students.
0: And, and, and largely the system no longer does that, right? Because we're talking about 116 kids.
1: Correct. So, in so the, so the, so a few
0: schools, the handful of schools that I guess haven't shifted to excellence for all.
1: Right. So, under Superintendent Chang's leadership, um, essentially, essentially, Superintendent Chang uh, said we, we should expand rigor. We should take the the good things from advanced work class. And Mm -hmm. rather than get rid of them, let's try to give them to everybody. Right. Let's try to give access, let's high expectations, right? Right. Robotics and coding and world language. Let's give that to all students, not dismantle it because it's it's only it's it's only serving some students, but rather give it to everybody. And that's what excellence for all is. And the but system-
0: so let me stop you for a second though, because so so if we go back to the looking at metrics and how schools are graded, right? Like as you and I did a whole riff on how many schools are not they're they're considered by the state deeply underproductive as compared to schools across the state. And so there, there's one thing to say, okay, let's move everyone to excellence for all. There's another thing to implement programs that allow. The school district to achieve the goals of excellence for all, right? And so, how well how well are we doing on that front? I mean, is this really should this really be a discussion about the Terra Nova and the test and AWC, or should this be a much deeper conversation about um, execution of programs that prepare kids for further learning?
1: Yeah, and yes, I mean, Jill, this this has to be a deeper conversation. This has to be a conversation about ensuring that every student who wants a K-1 seat can have a K-1 seat in the Boston public schools. This, this is about ensuring that we can, we can work on the opportunity and achievement gaps earliest possible in, in, the, in, in our education, um, that, that we're, we're, we're not waiting to fourth grade to begin to have high expectations for our students. That um, as you heard earlier in the school committee goal, this is about making sure that students are prepared at third grade. Right. This is about making sure that students can read at first grade or earlier. Right. That we have to have a concerted effort as a city to ensure that all of our students have access to really strong early education, that we're okay. able to begin to level this playing field, that we're not waiting to fourth grade um, to, to 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 all of a sudden start talking about high expectations for our students.
0: Well, and if we did that, we would require many more exam quality schools, right? Like it would just the onus would be on the system to rise to the expectations of all of these students who are being much better prepared for future learning. And so, you know, it it feels like going back to the beginning of the meeting where the head of school committee was talking about new metrics and guardrails, that this is how they should be filling in the X's is really understanding deeply what the first Xs are. You know, where are we today? And then in setting pace for future Xs, right? What are, what are our expectations? Where do we want everyone to move? And, and here it, listening to leadership of each school about how, what it's gonna to take to get them there.
1: It, Jill, in most other districts that surround Boston, there is not um, advanced work class or exam schools. There are mm-hmm. schools. Right. And Boston has made up structures um, to try to, to, to tell families, if, if you don't like the education your child's receiving at this school, we have a, another pathway for you through this system. So they've created mm-hmm. a system on top of a system. And it forces um, families to make decisions, but it also articulates to students at multiple points in their career in K-12 in Boston, that they're not good enough, that they're left out of the better system, if you will. That mm-hmm. you know, at third grade, we articulate to students, you're not good enough to go to advanced work class. You didn't test in. In sixth grade, we articulate to students again, maybe, that they, if they apply for exam school, they didn't get in, that they're not good enough for those schools. Right. And we do that again, by the way, in ninth grade, when we reassess students in, in eighth grade, and give them the opportunity to apply to exam schools. And again, we may tell students they're not good enough. So we have two systems in Boston, in the educational system. We have a system that's um, either you are told that you have high expectations and that you're good enough, and then for the majority of our students, we're telling them over and over again that they're not good enough. And it's time we dismantle this system. You can only do that by providing one really good system of schools, not two systems of schools.
0: So, so, you know, it's encouraging in one light that this, these issues were raised last night at school committee. It, it's not though that the district needs waivers for a year. Truly, it, it, it should be that this is where school committee sets its intentions and where it focuses its efforts on future work, right? This is, this is kind of what it's all about is everyone talks about transitioning to a district that is fair and equitable and helps all kids you know, rise up. And so this is where all of the conversations of the school committee should be focused, I think. Right.
1: It is. We, we tend to focus on these very narrow topics. Like this is the same as the exam school conversation where we're right. focused on a small number of students and it's causing a lot of emotion and a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of discussion and a lot of energy and we're ignoring the fact that we have all these other schools that need attention and need to be addressed and we need a much stronger educational system. Um, we're doing the same thing here, you know, with advanced work class. It's sort of like right. this 116 kids. Um, we got to deal with the fact that why is this thing even exist? Why is it still here? And um, it, it, and we got to figure out how do we provide all schools the, the baseline, all families, the baseline of a great education in every neighborhood across the city. So
0: as we reflect on last night's meeting, we're left with these questions. First of all, do families have everything that they need to return to school on Monday? Including, do they have their bus assignments?
1: Also, Jill, will each student and staff member be tested at least once a week in their respective school? And what is the plan for teacher vaccination?
0: Right. And how will the school system measure and address learning loss, given the lack of value on assessment data?
1: And Jill, given the lateness of this decision around advanced work class uh, and the testing, how will families receive communication on their school choices for next year? What is the outcome
0: of the interim exam school admissions policy this year?
1: And Jill, when listening sessions begin on the new BPS goals, will the first X be filled in?
0: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's presented there.
1: So how do we engage? How do we help? Here are some ideas. Uh, Attend an upcoming budget hearing and share your thoughts. Attend an upcoming school committee listening session on goals and push for the X's to be defined. And clarification on alignment with existing goals, the superintendent's strategic plan and the superintendent's performance evaluation. Stay tuned for exam school task force dates and attend if you're able. And make sure you ask the task force for the data on this year's interim assignment methodology. Lastly, email school committee and superintendent encouraging them to take advantage of the state's COVID-19 pooled surveillance testing program
0: we're going to link to all of the recommendations that we made during this podcast in both the blog that accompanies this podcast. And you can also go to our website at ShawFoundation.org and look in the events section. And any of these meetings that we mention um, will be listed there so that you'll have all of the times and dates of those meetings. And so with that, Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.